today's Bible reading comes from Mark 6, verse 30 to 44. Mark 6, 30 to 34, Jesus feeds the 5,000. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, he, then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognised them and ran on foot from all the towns and got up there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them. They all ate and were satisfied. <clears throat> and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Thank you very much, Nadine. Uh, babysit is now open. So for those of you who have uh, children here who might be up to four years of age, um, yeah, feel free to uh, just make your way straight through the back here and um, you will find a babysit room with Dana who will look uh, after your children. All right. Can I now invite for this part, we now get to what we would call our sermon or a message, and this is where we, we've read God's word, and uh, we just explain now a bit to what, what, what God might want to say to us through that. Now to do that well this morning, I have some helpers, so I might invite Georgia and Anika, you guys can come on up and um, just join me up here. As you come up, I'll just create a bit of space here. All right, so this is Georgia, and this is Anika, that's all right. Um, they are going to be just participating and helping me throughout the message just to uh, uh, explain some of the parts of, of what we just read, how, how God wants to change our lives through that. And I've given them some things to think about throughout the week, and I kind of want you to know that what they're going to share really, um, that's from them, not from me. <laughs> not things that I wrote down to give them to read out. And so thank you so much for the work you've done and the thought you've put into this already. Um, we really appreciate it. Um, am I in the right spot? Should I move this echo? Is that all right? How's that? Better? Just let me know if you want me to uh, move around a bit. All right. 
I'm willing to bet that if you grew up in church, you you'd have seen a picture similar to this one in your children's Bible. Now, this, that's kind of the picture uh, that's used often in children's Bibles to illustrate this um, miracle that Jesus has performed. It's referred to commonly as the, uh, the feeding of the 5,000. It's so important that all four people who wrote a, a gospel, a gospel is an account of who Jesus was and what he did. There were four people who did that. They're the first four books in your Bible in the New Testament. All four of them wrote this one down. Whereas with a lot of the other stuff Jesus did, they, some wrote about some things, others about others thing, other things. This one, all four of them go, this was important. Really, really, really important. We have to write this down. And today, what we're going to do we're going to try and just unpack a little bit what was so important, what was so critical about this event um, that all four of them would say, it's got to be in there. We've read this. Just before Jesus, uh, before this event, Jesus uh, sent his disciples out. They did a whole heap of wonderful things. They preached really powerful sermons. They did some signs and wonders. And they came back and they reported everything to Jesus that they've done. And they were stuffed. They were incredibly tired. And so Jesus said, we read, let's go to a solitary place, literally uh, a wilderness. Let's go to somewhere where we can be utterly desolate and alone. And so they got on a boat, they crossed the lake, and they reached the other side. However, when they got there, a massive crowd was already assembled there. They reckon that this was about a six-kilometre sail across this lake that Jesus and his disciple had to do. On foot, the people who assembled, knowing that he's on his way there, who obviously was with him to where he was previously, some of them, they reckon, would have run about 12 kilometres <laughs> to get there. They powered ahead. They said, we've got to beat him there because we want something. <laughs> And so instead of finding this place where they could rest in this deserted, lonely place, they find this crowd, probably, of about 10,000 people there. 5,000 men. It's a bit of a guess, but you could probably say there was an equal amount of women and children there as well. That's what Jesus and his disciples encounters. This massive crowd of thousands of people. Now, here's my question. First question we have to ask for ourselves today. Who were these people? Who, who, who were they? The picture you'd see in your children's Bible would be something like this. Perhaps you might even think to yourself that they were, they were more like starving refugees. You know, the text says that Jesus had compassion on them. Um, it makes us think that perhaps they were people who were poverty-stricken, um, that's sort of the mental image that sparks, uh, the word sparks and the context sparks. However, I'm going to suggest to you that's not really who they were at all. This particular spot where Jesus lands and his disciples was the region to a very particular group of people in those times. And I've invited that group to come and represent themselves today. So, Jaden and Anika and Marty, you can come on up. 
and join me over here. So who we have here this morning, we have, we have the following people. I'm going to introduce to you uh, Baruch and Shifra and Elazar. As you can see, the way they dressed, they seem to have a particular uh, vocation in life, a particular uh, uh, mission. And, and I thought maybe today I just want to interview them a little bit and ask them a few questions about uh, who they are and what they're on about. So I'm going to start with Baruch over here. Um, Baruch, can you please tell me whether this mic works or not? Just say hello. 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 Hello again. Hello. Yes, it works. Excuse me, sir, Baruch, can you please just let me ask you uh, a few questions? Firstly, do I say your name correct? What is your name? Baruch. Baruch. And can you please tell me, who are these people, all 10,000 that surrounds us here, who, who are these people who are, who are with you here? This is my son, Elazar, and these are my comrades, passionately united in a common cause. I see, I see. And, and, and so, uh, Shifra, uh, can you please tell me, what is your name? Do I say your name correct? My name is Shifra. Shifra, okay. Shifra, why are you dressed like the way you are? You mean armed and ready for battle? Well, we are revolutionaries. We are ready to fight. Fight who? Fight the Romans, of course. We hate them in their harsh ways of ruling over us. Wow, all right. Uh, Baruch, I believe you've all turned out here today to see this powerful man called Jesus. Why is it that you want to see him? Well, we have no leader, and we think he'll be the one to help us destroy the Romans. And to be perfectly honest, we're a bit clueless to what to do. I see. Some fighters you are. Shifra! what do you particularly hope the Romans, defeating the Romans, will, will, will give you? It will give us ultimate satisfaction when we have full freedom from the Romans. This is our deepest desire. Well, thank you very much for letting me interview you and telling us what your cause is about. You, go, you may sit down. <laughs> Let's give them a hand. They've done so well. My son found his spot. It's good. This is who this crowd of people was who Jesus encountered on the other side of the lake. <laughs> they were guerrilla fighters, zealots. This is the home of zealot country. For them, ultimate satisfaction in life, what, what, what would give them the greatest uh, sense of freedom and happiness and fullness was if they could smash the Roman government. You know, this is what, what, what they yearned for, what they longed for. And, and this gets us to an important question. What is it for you and for me that would give us that sense of ultimate satisfaction in life? What would make us look at our lives and say, you know what, I'm, I'm free, 
I'm full, I'm ultimately happy, and I'm satisfied. Now for them, as we've heard, this, this, this is what it was. More than likely, it was, was success in this cause that they were, that they were involved in, this, this military cause. That's what they turned to. And I then asked Georgia to think for me this week, uh, no, actually, Anika, to think for me this week, what are some things other than Jesus that, that we often turn to, that we think will give us the same sense of satisfaction and, and happiness uh, today? So, Anika, what did you come up with? One possibility could be money. Some people believe that if they have more money, they will be happy and satisfied. Some people think that having the latest trends will cause them to have more friends and be more popular. Sport is another thing that a lot of people get hooked on. Another possibility could be having a better career because it makes people feel powerful and important. Family is another example. People often get caught up in spending time with family and forget to spend time with God. Mm. Thank you so much. And I think everything Anika said is true. These are things that our culture would happily turn to and that each of us in our own lives, I think, from time to time are tempted to, to go, you know what, if I just get that job, if I just get that, uh, that financial goals that I've set, I'll, I'll, I'll get that sense of true satisfaction, true freedom. Uh, and it's very true. Thank you very much with, for what you've come up with. We're like these zealots in more than just the things we the wrong things, if you like, that we turn to to give us freedom and satisfaction. We're also like them in another way. Shifra, I think, was the one who told us that, you know, what they wanted with Jesus was they saw in Jesus the thing that would make them run 12 kilometers and flock in their thousands to come and see him is because they thought, this is great. <laughs> We're a little bit clueless. We can use him for our cause. We know what we want in life. Here is this person called Jesus. I can use him. We can use him. And there's no, well, there's little doubt that they thought he would make an excellent leader of their army. This is the chance they, they saw. Um, turn him into a guerrilla fighter for their cause. We too, church, I think so often, uh, either as Christians we're tempted to do this or, or our culture in general, seek to use Jesus for things that we think we need. And I've asked Georgia to think for us through that this week. And the question was, just Georgia, in what ways do you think we often seek to use Jesus to get what we want for ourselves instead of what he wants? I believe Jesus wants for us is to have a close relationship with him, that, that it sticks together in happy and sad times no matter what, to have a friendship with him so close that we can always see him and receive his love and then let it flow out and bless others, whether or not we are feeling happy or having a bad day. Sometimes I think we can only seek him when times are bad and forget about him when times are good. That's not really a friendship, using Jesus in a needy and selfish way and being a bit proud. It's a friendship that takes all the time but rarely gives. This can include when we have prayed and asked God for something and he answers us when we take the glory and praise instead of giving it to Jesus. Another example is sometimes people say they believe in Jesus. They might ask for forgiveness occasionally but their lives don't really demonstrate a loving relationship with God. They do this just so they can go to heaven. 
they want eternal life. But Jesus wants us to live and encounter his love and blessings today, now. And for us to bless others in his name. Mm. Thank you so much, Georgia. I love what you said. And, you know, some of the ways we, we might use Jesus is an insurance policy. He has no, no bearing on how I live in this life in, in a loving friendship with him. It's really just there for when I die or, or, or there for, um, you know, helping me through hard times. But in the good times, you know, we're not often really interested in having, having that deep friendship and love with Jesus. And so we too, in our own ways, often use Jesus, or at least we try to, uh, similar to what uh, these revolutionaries did. But then the story moves on. We read that Jesus stepped into this crowd as, as, a, as a shepherd amongst them sheep. We think this is usually a, a, a really kind of a pastoral thing, you know, think Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Again, it's, it's uh, I suppose this, to, to put it crudely, you know, this, this soft version of Jesus. However, in, in Jewish thought, shepherds were often uh, casted metaphorically, or people were casted as shepherds, um, when they were strong military leaders, Moses and, and Joshua, as they led God's people through the wilderness and through conquering the land, they, they, they were described as shepherds. They were strong leaders. And I think it's in this capacity that Jesus steps amongst this crowd of these thousands of armed up and, 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 and you know, hyped up revolutionaries as a leader. And then he does something incredible. And now it gets, it gets very deep. We read that by this time it was late in the day. Jesus said to his disciples, this is a remote place. It's already very late. Send them away that they might go and buy food, which seems sensible enough. And then Jesus says something that when you really think about it, you have to ask yourself why. Why on earth would he said that? He said to these disciples, you, you 12 Give them, probably 10,000, something to eat. <laughs> you know, they, I don't know what they were thinking. Put yourself in their shoes. Uh, their response is, it's going to take more than half a year's wages, you know. You know, this is going to take $30,000, $25,000 for us to just provide a lunch once for people. They, they, they really wrestled with this, and, and, and we have to ask, but what, why did Jesus do that? Why did he give them this impossible task? I think it's precisely because of that reason that he wanted to underscore the impossibility. He wants to say, you know what? If these people are going to be satisfied, it's going to be because of me. It's going to be because of something that I am going to do here and get this, only I can do this. If we want to be satisfied in life, fully happy, ultimately free, only Jesus can do this. This is an impossibility on our own. It can happen only when, when Christ acts. And, and, and he sets that up, I think, very neatly here. And then he moves on, or the story moves on. Um, Jesus directed his disciples to have all the people sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking five loaves and 
the fishes, which I've left down there. He broke it. Uh, gave thanks. And then it was handed out. There's a clue in this that's very important. Jesus got the people to sit down in groups of fifties and hundreds. There was another time in the Bible when a significant leader of God's people at a time when they were down and out and in a desolate place, starving, with no hope and no future, this leader got them to sit down in little groups. If you know your biblical history, it was Moses in the desert as the people of God are being led out of Egypt in their slavery. And there, God feeds them with bread, with, with manna from heaven. It's no question that these revolutionaries who were there that day, they made that connection like that. They were seeing that whoever this man is who is standing in front of us, he's in league with Moses. In fact, he's greater than Moses. Here is a leader, here is a figure who's redefining to us who we are, how we get fed, and who God is. So it would have made them look back immediately and they would recognize, whoa, this is an incredible person. Well, not only would it make them look back, it would make them look forward to where we sit today. And here's what Jesus would eventually let his disciples and this crowd see. We read in the Gospel of Mark, just before Jesus goes to the cross, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, take it, this is my body. And a little later on in John, we read these powerful words. Just take it in as I read it. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I'll give for the life of the world. I don't know what you're hoping would satisfy you today. I don't know what you're looking for that would hit that spot in your existence that would say, well, I'm so satisfied. But I can hold out to you that these symbols of bread and wine that we're going to celebrate shortly, they are saying to you that Jesus is the great satisfier. You can have an all-satisfying relationship with God because of what Jesus did. He is the bread of life. His body was broken. His blood spilled to take away what stands between you and God. And it may sound weird, but out of everything that's on offer in this life, believing in this truth is most satisfying. In fact, I read a very interesting article in the paper in the last few weeks, and it was an interview um, on how the church is sort of coming back into fashion and back into the culture. And Nicky Gumbel, the, the person who wrote the Alpha Course, designed to help non-Christians discover and explore who Jesus is and, and what Christians believe, 
Uh, he was interviewed by a journalist, and towards the end of the interview, uh, this, is, this is kind of what, what we read, and I've asked Georgia to just read that out for us. Thanks, Georgia. Finally, I asked Gumbel what a person loses if they lose the knowledge of God. In a long, animated, fluent conversation, it was the first time he pauses. I was not brought up as a Christian, he says slowly. I know the difference between belief and not having belief. Ultimately, you can lose everything. A person obviously can find a purpose outside of faith, but I don't think you can find ultimate purpose and meaning outside of a relationship with God. Another pause. And if Jesus did rise from the dead, there's hope and meaning and love. Ultimate purpose, ultimate satisfaction, ultimate meaning in life. It's in Jesus. It is in Jesus. You know, it's the best part of that satisfaction to finish this event off. We read that after these thousands of people were fed, they picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. <laughs> it's an abundance. You can never run out of that satisfaction. doesn't matter how big the crowd, doesn't matter how tough your life, doesn't matter how sheer your challenges or the depth of your hurts, this peace, this satisfaction, there'll always be leftovers. This is the all-sufficient Christ, the greater Moses, who seeks to satisfy you and satisfy you to the full. That's kind of the message of, of the feeding of the 5,000. And I think that's why all four gospel writers put it in. They say, we've got to get this. It's that important. Now, we're going to wrap up now and... and to finish off, I want to invite you to respond to this news, to this message. And how I want you to do it is to do with what we call the Lord's Supper. Uh, we're going to, in, in a minute or two, hand out the bread and the wine. And I just want to invite you this morning, you know, if, if you've never experienced this fullness and, and satisfaction of Jesus, but, but my goodness, you're, you're keen on it and you're hungry and you want to eat, respond. Um, believe. Take that bread and take that wine by faith and let him fill you, let him satisfy you to the full. If you're unsure of what that means or you're not quite really ready, that's totally okay too. Don't feel under any pressure to do so. Uh, but do come and see me afterwards. We'd love to help you explore this, this, this satisfaction that Jesus gives. Children, you're in church today with us. Um, you are sitting with mum and dad. It's mum and dad's call whether they would like you to, to participate in this or not. So parents, we leave that up to you. Uh, and then thirdly, I just want to talk to you. If, you. if you're here today and you, know, you do believe in Jesus, but you know, sometimes, we, sometimes we get sick of bread. <laughs> like the people of God in the Old Testament, they grumble about the manna and the bread that God gives them eventually. I pray that today you just be reminded again that this bread is the bread of life. There's nothing more satisfying. May God, just as you eat the bread and drink the wine, do that something in you that reminds you that, hey, this is the best part about life. I know Jesus and he knows me. Let me pray for us briefly and then we'll hand out the bread and the wine. Jesus, often we keep looking to other things to satisfy us. 
Today we want to say that we want to be filled to full satisfaction in our lives by you and by only you. Thank you that you've done everything through your death and your resurrection, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Lead us today in that fullness. Maybe for the first time, maybe just as a reminder of what we have in you. Let us eat the living bread. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.